Our next guest is a profound DJ and producer whose artist career spans almost 20 years. He's also the founder of the Days Like Nights record label and he DJs without shoes, socks only. Let's find out who our next guest is. Welcome to the club. What's your name, please? It's Ilka Klein. And what are you best known for? Probably my, my music, my productions and my, my DJ sets. What was the last club you went to? And who did you go with? Ooh, um, that was uh, a week and a half ago in Croatia. I, I, I was by myself because um, I was playing there. And um, well, of course, and a lot of people uh, also, but uh, it was just me traveling. Thank you, sir. You've passed the guest list. Welcome to the Armada Behind the Beats podcast. Please go through the door. Reggie and Harry will meet you there. Hi, Harry. We're back here again for another podcast. Hello. How are you doing? I'm doing very well, thank you. How are you? Good, thanks. Really excited to speak to our guest this week. Let's welcome Elka Klein. How are you doing, Elka? (laughs) Hey, I'm good. How are you? Very good. Nice and warm today. What's it like in Amsterdam, Harry? It's raining here now, actually. after a spell of, of hot and sunny days, so I'm hoping that they come back pretty soon. Where, where it, are you based, Elko? I'm based in, in Rotterdam. Yeah. Yeah, Pr- so pretty much the same, the weather. same weather, yeah. <laughs> I love how British we are, that we always start talking about the weather first. <laughs> it's also a Dutch thing as well. Like, yeah, it is. The Dutch also much. love to talk about the weather. But yeah. Complain about the weather, yeah. <laughs> so we thought we kind of like get to know you a little bit, Elka, like... Do you have a nickname? Do your friends like call you anything else, or is it just Elka? Is that what we should be yeah, focusing if, on? Yeah, um, yeah, mostly Elka. Uh, some of my friends call me Il, just the E E L, uh, for short. But in general, everyone calls me Elka. That's what we'll call you today. Welcome, Elka. Yeah, thank you. Hey, so we always like to start um, this podcast with a drink. <laughs> we like to set the scene and go to a bar and have a drink. Nice. Um, what would you what would you have a scotch whiskey a scotch whiskey yes. straight in with yes, the whiskey with, without a doubt <laughs> okay amazing yeah and reggie what would you what would you drink oh i mean i used to be i have drunk whiskey before but i think today is a, a soda and lemon day today i'm just taking a break from the alcohol i think for a moment interesting yeah well i'll tell you what i'll join elko with a whiskey nice uh, <laughs> why not you know why not? When you're on a show, actually, Elka, what do you normally have on your rider? Do you um, have to drink when you're playing, or yeah, I, you know, I've I've also tried not drinking at all when I'm playing, but it it sometimes it's a little bit hard to get on the same sort of level as the crowd. So um, I, I do have uh, Scotch whiskey in my rider, and there's some vodka in the rider as well. But um, I I try not to drink too much maybe maybe through two whiskey on an evening or so uh, to to get me into the mood a little bit can i just say whiskey is known as a um you know a, a gentleman's drink but just like wine there are so many different types of whiskeys yeah. do you have a preference and are you as wine drinkers know a lot about wine are you you know well versed in different whiskeys um, quite, yeah. Like there's, uh, I mean, like you said, like wine, there's so much difference, and I, I really have a, a liking for the, the more smoky ones. 
although I've I've been drinking those for a long time, and and lately I I've, I've sort of rediscovered the more ladylike whiskies, the the softer <laughs> ones with like vanilla sort of touch, and um, so. But I, I I like I like to try all of them and and have different ones in in different moods. Ooh, that sounds nice. That's great. Do, yeah. do you ever mix whiskey with, with like a soda or something? Because people who drink whiskey and they're keen about whiskey, they, they always say, well, I, I always hear they say, drink it neat yeah. with ice, a little bit of ice or yeah. no ice at all and just, or maybe a little bit of water even. Yeah. No, I, I prefer it uh, straight, like no ice. Maybe if you do put ice, yeah. just a little cube, but not much else because it, it sort of ruins the taste. Right, yeah. you need that heat in your in your throat, yes. right? You don't want to kind of <laughs> so maybe lose like all that a, to the eyes. So maybe like a, a a lady whiskey, as you call it, for like daytime drinking, and then maybe like a a gentleman's whiskey for like in the club. Yes, yeah. <laughs> I I like I really like the kind of whiskeys where if you open the bottle on the other end of the room, the aroma just you know drifts over. You uh, smell it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, can I ask you, what's like a normal day like for Elka Klein? We already established that sometimes a normal day can have whiskey in it, but uh, <laughs> usually kind of like what's your daily routine? What times you kind of get up? Um, it's, it's a pretty standard day, I guess. I, I get up around uh, 7.30. Um, my daughter has to be in school by 8.30, so I, I usually make her breakfast and lunch. Um, so she, she goes to school around 8.30, I'll, you know, take another 30 minutes to sort of get dressed and, and, you know, drink some coffee and more coffee probably. And, um, then I'll, I'll do my emails from nine to 10 and then from 10 to six, it's basically making music. Um, sometimes halfway through the day, I go to the gym as well. And, and if I do, I, I usually work a little bit longer in the evening as well. Um, and then I usually, I round off the day with uh, Spanish practice and guitar practice and, and that's it usually. Oh, wow. Yeah. And is this, are you in your studio right now? Is this like your home studio? Yes. Or do you have a, oh, wow. No, it's on the, on the top floor of our house. So um, I have had studios where I, I needed to get physically out of the house, but um this past year it's been really nice to have it at home because you know every everyone's supposed to be at home so it was really easy just to go upstairs but also um if you you know come back from a tour or something in, and and you've got a few hours left or so it, having the studio somewhere else is just such a a hurdle you know you don't always make that that extra step and and now i just have to walk upstairs and i can do something you mentioned your daughter, um, and so, you know, I guess being at home, you get to spend a lot of time with your family. And, yeah. you know, is there kind of like a musical history in your family? Are your, like, children or daughter, like, musically, um, you know, encouraged to kind of create music or have not yeah not not as much as i would have liked like i've um i've been trying to get her interested for you know piano or guitar or something else but she's not really picking it up yet she's she's eight years old um but she has other interests and if she does want to play an instrument she's always said it should be drums um so i i might sort of try and push that at some point um and, and, and as for the rest of my family, um, I mean, my, my brother used to play piano as well. And my, my mom, uh, she plays piano. But I, I was the, the first one 
in the the family that that started sort of and then everyone else followed so i i, I wouldn't say we have a very musical sort of family um or at least not before i started playing piano so you're setting the standard for the next generation i i hope so <laughs> <laughs> is there like a specific moment that you remember like in your youth or like when you were younger where you kind of fell in love with music and was like this is what i want to do or did you have another career in mind you know it was music something that triggered you and your senses well there there were definitely a couple of moments um one of the first ones was was when i was like seven or eight years old and i had one of those double cassette decks and i was always making mixtapes you know like trying to record the right songs from the radio and then recording them in another order and 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 so i i really remember being very interested in music but i i didn't really do anything like playing an instrument or so until later um in in high school i was i guess i was 13 at the time or so and we got music lessons and the, the teacher told me i could play quite well for someone that had never played an instrument and that sort of uh stuck with me so i started you know asking my my parents like if i can play piano and at first they were a little bit hesitant because well you know how, how kids are you know you want to do karate one day and then soccer <laughs> the next and yeah but apparently i i was uh, quite um I, I kept on asking and and so they they put me on piano lessons and that was sort of the the start and then i i guess i was 15 when i started going out and i i really remember the the, the first night in the club like the dj was playing vinyl and you know scratching with it and, and literally that moment i thought oh that's that's what i want to do you know that's how i want to spend my my years um and at first i i was still pursuing a career in in it so i had all my my you know computer education and all that but after high school i just i i just switched completely to uh, to music and so i guess that's where your career as we know it now began right um i think it's spanning almost 20 years right now um what were yeah. the first things that you that you started to make then music wise i um yeah we're, we're almost i'm 38 now and i i started writing music just for fun when i was 16 or so so i i guess those first two years from 16 to 18 was just messing with with gear that i had and i i worked in this music store and i could bring home equipment as long as it was back on tuesday morning when they opened um so i was i was always messing with you know synthesizers and groove boxes and um, but then when i when i turned 18 and i finished high school it, it went really quickly because i um i met another producer and w both of us had never released a record but we started uh, releasing music together and mostly trans music back in the in those days and you know from we just went from one release to the next and i, I think we released like 12 records in, in just in the first year and it all went really quickly do you think that was like the defining moment for you like early days that you thought that's it i've got a shot of this i want to make music yeah, I um I, I mean it was the it was the only thing on my mind. I was always like this is, you know, what I want to do and I I really spend as much time as I could on on writing music. So I was working 5 days a week, later 4 days a week cuz I, I I needed more time to make music and then in the evening hours I was always writing music and on the weekends and um eventually after uh, 3 years of working sort of full time 
I I came up with a better idea, which was, you know, in Holland, you can, if you go to university, the, the government will pay for, or they used to pay for, for part of that. So I thought, hey, this is smart. If I go to university, I can quit my job and I can just start making music full time, you know, and the government will pay me for my expenses in the time being. Um, so it seemed like a really good plan. And I, I kind of stuck with that. And I, I finished university after maybe seven years or so. It took a little bit longer. Um, but by that time, I had sort of built my my career in music and I, I kind of never looked back after that. So, so that's why in the Netherlands, we have so many great DJs and producers <laughs> because yeah. that's the key. <laughs> I guess, yeah. It, it just seemed like a, like a good idea at the time, you know? And um, yeah, it, it's really helped me for sure. And when, when you were writing, Elga, were, were you writing on a piano mainly and then messing around with synths and, and, and translating that into Transtract back in the day? Yeah, mostly I was already working on a Cubase, which is my, my sequencer. And we had a bunch of synthesizers, a, a couple from me and then a couple from my, my friend. And, and we just started, you know, messing around and, and trying to sort of recreate what we heard other people do as well. And like, I'm, I'm, I think those early records, I, I look at it as a, a learning period. I mean, there were definitely there were some gems, but there was a lot of generic sort of music. But that, I guess that's how you learn as well, you know? You gotta, you, you gotta do that in order to, to progress yourself. Absolutely, I think that probably continues through, through your career to some extent, right? Yeah. Um, because you're always trying to learn and improve. Um, but it's interesting, you, you, you mentioned that the first releases were trance, that's kind of where you started. Yeah. Um, do you feel like you were influenced by what was happening with trans back in those days in the in the early 90s and stuff because it was such a popular genre back then right yeah yeah and it was huge in the Netherlands and yeah. for sure it influenced me a lot because um, I mean I was in high school when when trans sort of became big so when we started going out in like the late 90s trance was what you heard in the clubs you know so I, I started following Armin and Ferry and Chesto and you know, a little bit later, they started playing those records as well that we made. So um, that was a, a huge influence back in the days. Yeah. And I, I, I guess I only, the, the sound I'm known for now, it, I, I, I feel like it still has some of its roots in trance music because it's, you know, it's, it's super melodic. Um, right. But it, it's also something I, I developed throughout the years, but definitely with that, that basis in, in, in trance music. It's interesting because I, I I also uh, look after a lot of transacts on the roster at Armada, so that's kind of um, what I'm A&R in most of the time. And some of the tracks that I hear, like, you know, outside of that are, are always kind of have those trancey elements, whether it's kind of the chord pro progressions or it's the, the melodic kind of elements. Um, do you think even now, you know, there's, there's still that blend of genres, right? And, and in trance, melodic house and techno is kind of becoming really popular and a bit of a trend right now. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of crossover, right, between those, those genres specifically. Yeah, I think so. I, I mean, it's main, mainly down to the tempo, you know. Um, I, I don't, like, to be honest, yeah. I haven't followed trance that much these, these days, so I don't know if it's still like 138 or is it slower by now or... I think it's a lot slower. Okay. There's still the 138 and the 140 stuff for the sort of hardcore yeah. um, group, um, which is great, the end of the night stuff. Um, but in the main, yeah, I think it's also a little bit more progressive now. And, yeah. And 
Um, but yeah, like you say, if you speed it up or if you take a melodic house and techno track, you, you speed it up a little bit, it's, yeah. it's almost trans, right? Yeah, yeah. So, with some records for sure. And, and especially with the, the trends in the past two, three years, which, you know, melodic house and techno has been very, very melodic, you know? So um, a, a lot of those records, I, I can hear the, the early trans influences nowadays. For sure. Yeah. Since then, you've kind of produced a lot of different genres. Well, yeah. different genres. That, you know, was that like a, a natural evolution for you, like sound-wise? Um, or were, was it because you were in like different clubs, experiencing different types of dance music? How did that kind of evolve? Well, I, I guess one reason is because I, I get tired with a certain sound very quickly. So I, I never like to... You know, tr if if I have a, a record that has a lot of success, I, I never try to imitate that record for the next one. I, I try to come up with something else that I haven't done before. So that's that's probably one of the reasons. And um, throughout the years, you know, I've you know sometimes I was in this mood and then I'm in, in that mood, and so you 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 try all these different things, and you know some work and some don't. And and even to this day, like nowadays, I'm I'm trying to use more guitar in my music because it really excites me and it's something up to a couple of years ago I, I couldn't play it you know but now I'm, I'm finally at the level where I can play it for my my own tracks and so it's all of a sudden it's a new sound source that I can use and it, it gives um, it, you know inspiration in, in different directions so um, yeah I, I guess I just like to produce a lot of different things. I love that because that really adds kind of like a, a layer of like musicianship as well and I guess helps change or inspire your like songwriting and, and you know, uh, production arrangement and stuff like that. And along with that, like how, where do you get influenced to be making, um, you know, different sounds or uh, different kind of like genres or, you know, is it, do you follow like current trends? Are you listening you know, being nostalgic, listening to old stuff. Um, do you pay more attention to, you know, what's streaming well on like the, you know, digital platforms or what people are talking about on social media? You know, where does it kind of influence you? I, I think it's it's mostly um, just listening to music and there can be either, you know, new music or old, or old music. But even for instance, when I'm watching Netflix, whenever I hear a great song in the background, I either shazam it or I, I record it quickly on my phone and I, I email it to myself so I, I see it in the next morning. And then the next morning in the studio, I, I listen to the track and like, oh, this is amazing. You know, why, why haven't I ever done something that is in this direction or something? And, and so a lot of, um, that's how a lot of ideas start, I guess, just by listening to what everyone else is doing and then getting inspired by that. And... Um, yeah, it's for me. It's a very natural way of working, um, and the way I work in the studio is also uh, my my preference is to do like a new idea every day, and then you know at the end of the day I bounce it down to audio and I put it in a big folder, and then two months later I'll go through all those little ideas and then I pick the, pick out the ones that I want to finish, you know, and and the ones that I started it just depends on what my mood was that that day, I guess. And do you have an example of a record that you were inspired or influenced by in the way that you just said that then became a record? Oof. Um, yeah, for instance, um, The Magician from my last album. 
it has a very typical sort of bass line and that's a sort of an old 80s sound that was used a lot by Kraftwerk and, and, and those kind of acts, you know, in Depeche Mode. And I was listening to those tunes and I thought, oh, I should do something like this, but then make it melodic, you know, where, it is, where it's moving around in the bass or something. So that, that kick-started that idea and, and eventually led to that track. You have a label called Days Like Nights. What made you start? the label and like what's the ethos and kind of like vibe behind it you know are you nocturnal is it is it more of a like a mood thing that you you wanted to create a mood of the night and the day what's that about um well the, the reason first of all for for starting the label was um as we said before my my sound is quite broad and so in the past i've always had a little bit of difficulty fitting in somewhere you know i you know in the in the past i released you know some of my music with global underground and then some with Sutbeat and and some with um a tool room and the problem was i i could always fit you know some of my music there but it, it never felt like i could release all of my music on those labels because um I'm, I'm just doing a lot of different sort of vibes um so it, it became more and more important to me to have like one one place where I could release all of that you know and um, so we, we started talk, talking with with Armada and and they were really interested and so we set up the label together and um, coming back to the name Days Like Nights it, there's not really a deeper meaning behind it but I, I just really like it and it's also it, it, it does reflect the sort of difference in vibe that you get on on daytimes and on nighttimes and i like to make music for both occasions and i, I also like to play both occasions you know they're, they're quite different and um, and also just from a you know a marketing perspective if we if we touch on that um it's nice because for instance if you do a, an event you can do a, a, a daytime and a nighttime sort of area and so there's all kinds of little plays you can make with that um so it, am i right in thinking that you really like doing long extended sets no you're right yeah yeah i um if i play abroad i i try not to play less than three hours usually um, but I've definitely done, you know, eight or 10 or 12 as well. So I can imagine that there's going to be gigs that you've done that have come from the day into the night. Oh, yeah. <laughs> to fit perfectly with yeah. that. I think it's a great name. And also for those marketing purposes as well, it's really clever. Um, how often are you releasing on the label and, and what sort of music are you looking for? Is it exactly kind of what you would make yourself or are you looking for things slightly left and right of that? Yeah, def right? definitely. Um, I'm looking for anything that I would play um, yeah. on the label. So if I wouldn't play it, I I wouldn't release it on the label. That That's the number one thing. Um, but then, you know, it, it can be um, same as with my music it can come from a lot of different corners so one record will be a little bit more disco and then the other will be very melodic or, or techno just depending on you know if you play a, a 10 hour set you need a lot of music and a lot of different vibes also for that so that's sort of the, the philosophy in, in the label as well I was listening just before the podcast to the new Animal How often is it that you come across a track and you're just like, 
you know, it stops you in your tracks. You're like, hey, this is this is amazing. Yeah. Um, it it does happen, um, but not as often as I would like. You know, uh, you, you you probably Looking realize like as well. Like, A&R. yeah, <laughs> a, a lot of music just sounds the same. And yeah. if I if I listen to I listen to all the demos that we get um, in person, and I I think like at least 49 of 50 you can just throw away instantly and the the one that makes you go like oh i like this you know but a, a lot of stuff it's like a lot of people nowadays they in, instead of trying to find their own sound they're just trying to copy what's popular and i mean of course you can yeah. always everyone does it sometimes you know you think like oh this is a very popular sound i'm going to try and make something like that but then at least try and imprint your own sort of signature on it instead of just blatantly copying what you hear and um it still needs to be unique as yes well. yeah you as an artist right it can't just be a carbon copy because it's always going to be behind the person yeah. who did it originally so it, it just yeah. doesn't make sense but do you think then that that that's um sort of the secret to having quality releases always going for something you know unique and true to kind of what the artist is yeah i i, th I think so um for me the the, the main thing is once i have a, a, a track that i really like i'm going to test it a, a couple of times in clubs which was you know over the last year and a half was quite difficult so um in in that period we we didn't release as much music as we did you know normally um, but now with, with clubs opening again, it's a little bit easier and ev everything that I, I really like, I, I try a few times in the club, see how it, how it goes down. And if that response is good as well, then I'm, I'm usually up for signing. So the people in this conversation are the ones who get to decide basically yes. when you play yeah. it out in, yeah. in a live show, they can decide. So. Yeah. Oh, but not not just for for demos. It's also with with my own music. You know, when I finish a track, right? I I do what I call a, a quick sort of club mix, and I try that out. And I, I still remember um, I was playing Tomorrowland two or three years ago, and I, I played this first club mix of a new song that I did. And the first two minutes were it was the uh, the Hierophant from my um, from my last album. All right. And yeah. the first two minutes were amazing, but then the whole middle section, basically the whole sort of gist of the track, it just sort of it didn't get a great response. And I was so upset by that that I I went back into the studio and I deleted everything after two minutes and I just started again, you know, because I thought it, if that happens, it's gonna leave. And like a nasty taste, you know, sort of, and I'll, I'll never get over it. So it, it means the tune needs to go. <laughs> the discovery of also like working with different artists and stuff do you like have you got you know a sneak teaser for us of who you think might be like the next big thing or somebody you want to work with someone we, we've had him on the label and, and someone that i'm a very big fan of is a buddha kid um he's i mean he's he's I, let's be honest he's halfway there already but um he's just doing really really good music and um pretty much everything that he that he does i can play you know, blindfolded. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. Well, as we're talking more and more about kind of like uh, music production and in our virtual club, and also as you have been to the Amada offices, you know that we have a studio yep. as well as a club in the office. So 
we're going to walk over to the Amada studio and want to delve a little bit deeper into your music. And, you know, we know that you've done um, a remix of a trans classic, which is forthcoming, Coast to Coast, called yeah. Home. It's got more of a kind of like indie flavour, like vibe to yes. it. Is this like a new direction for you? You were saying you've been playing the guitar. Is that where that kind of influence and inspiration came from for that sound? Yeah, it's there's um, that's that's one reason. I, I really wanted to do something different with this one. And also an, an, another reason is um, I've, I've remixed a few trans records uh, in the in the past year, you know, I, I remixed Armin yeah. and I, I, from the top of my head, I don't know, but I, I remixed one or two more. And um, I didn't want to fall into the, I, I guess, trap of, of again doing a four to the floor sort of melodic techno mix of, you know, a, a trans record. Yeah. Um, so when I was asked, to remix the song, the, the the one thing I said is okay. I'm I I would like to do it, but I want to turn it into a sort of weirder breakbeat version. And I I don't think I really exactly set what direction it was gonna go into, but I did mention breaks. And um, when I was playing with the tune, I just ended up. Um, I some of the inspiration I had is um, I I always like it if there's no electronic drums in a song. You know, when it's all sort of acoustic drums but i i don't play drums so what i did was i i went for the best plugin that i could find and then i sort of multi-stemmed that into lots of different channels and i started um sort of remiking it as i would with a normal drum kit you know just to see what would happen and um after i had yeah after i had that groove i thought okay but now i i need to get guitar in there you know so i i was just messing around with this for a while and um e- eventually it led to the the remix as it is now you know but with your daughter learning to play the drums i'm sure she might get a little cameo at some point yeah soon the problem is mostly space like it doesn't fit back here and yeah. and also her room is quite full with the rabbit and i don't know what so um <laughs> I, I don't know where to where to put a drum kit otherwise i would have bought one already <laughs> Brilliant. And just talking about that kind of music, you know, like band-led, musician-led music, are there like any bands and stuff that you like you used to listen to, um, you know, whether it's like metal, rock, um, indie, kind of like musician-based uh, music? Yeah, for sure. Um, mostly nowadays, actually, because when I was growing up, I, I absolutely hated anything that was rock music and I hated guitar and I, I really wanted to do no- have nothing to do with it. And only when I, I, I guess I was 25 or so, and all of a sudden I, I, I was listening to um, Muse and editors because friends recommended them. And, and at one point I was like, oh, this is actually, this is quite nice. I didn't know guitar could sound like this, you know? And um, yeah, so those bands I've, I've listened to a lot, but also Rage Against the Machine and, oh, um, you yes. know, lots of different, my, nowadays I, my taste is very broad in music, I think. Love it. And so what can we expect to hear in like future release wise? Is it going to be a real explosion of like different sounds? Do you think you'll probably bring those inspirations more and keep it for dance floor music? I Ideally for a next album, I would really like to try and combine electronic music with indie rock and see where it goes. And, you know, there's a couple of artists right now that are really doing that really well. Um, Moscow Man and, and Tunnel Visions, although they, they just split up. But 
and and that's been really uh, inspiring to me. And um, I'm, I'm hoping I can sort of make that work in in my own way also, you know? I think it's so, it's so exciting, you know, when you're at festivals or you go to a live show, especially like a dance floor show, and there is a band and you just never know. It's so exciting because you just never know which direction it's going to go in. And yeah. it's live, sometimes like live improv. And yeah, I just think that that, that as a dance show is always like the next level yeah yeah and, and even in the studio it's like um when you're working with synthesizers you can just sequence out midi and you just you know you, you just put notes down until you are happy with it but yeah. when it's guitar you need to do a good performance you know you, you can do it again but if if a, a big problem for me for a long time was that i just wasn't good enough at guitar to do my own you know play my own riffs and stuff and uh, i i got so annoyed by that you know that I, I i really started with this daily practice routine of one hour a day and finally got up to the level where i i can do those performances without having to do them over and over again until it sounds nice you know so um yeah it, it's it's just really fun working like that i, I really like that elka because um I think it's also a balance though, right? Between like, you know, the, the rock bands and the, the band music versus digital synths. Like it's always exact. And, the, and the, like you say, the MIDI is like exactly where you want it. But there's also something nice to like having a human, you know, like yeah. the time is slightly off, but yeah. it's, it's not totally off, of course, but it's, no, but it's real, you know? If mm. if you look at um, my, my music production in sort of in detail, like everything that I do is slightly offset always, you know, all my hi-hats, all my drums are slightly offset. And it's just like, we're talking milliseconds, but it's it's just yeah. enough to make sure that, that every hi-hat hi sounds slightly different, you know? And um, that, that makes it more exciting to me than just to hear the same loop over and over on repeat. For sure. Mm -hmm. Hey, and we're absolutely loving um, the Midnight Affair. Um, cover rework yeah did How did that come about? Like, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, that was crazy. Um, so we, um, actually my, my manager, Jerome, he got an email uh, from Samaha saying like, hey, I I did this bootleg of Ilka's tune with Mary J. Blige and I, I think it sounds really good, but I'm having a bit of problem, uh, a bit of a problem finishing it because I don't have the original parts, you know? And so he sent a demo of what he was working on and um, yeah, we, we both thought that was really, really nice. And so at first I, I bounced all my parts from the original uh, The Order from the Nacht. And I sent them to him and then he started, you know, finishing his uh, version. And at one point we, um, you know, we, we needed to get Mary J. Blige cleared, of course, you know, because you, you, we, we couldn't use the, um, the original uh, parts. So we ended up having them replayed, which uh, turned out really well because you, you, you can hardly hear it. Um, only if you really, really know what you're listening for. Um, and so then when we got those parts repl replayed, um, Samaha sent me all his uh, tracks and 
I went into the studio with those replays and then his version and sort of ended up with the version that is the the final uh, one now but it, it was quite an interesting journey like I've never um I've never done anything like that before you know where where someone just emailed me a, a track and said hey I, I made this you know <laughs> I mean, I'm such a massive Mary J. Blige fan. So when we got sent that record, it was number one in my playlist. Yeah. So I'm so glad it worked out. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm I'm really happy with that one. Um, and and also because it's you know it's 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 I think it's 102 BPM or maybe even less. And it's it's very slow, you know, compared to most music out there. But it just yeah. it just kind of works and. I just wonder, like, how, how do you come up with, with the idea of pitching my, my track down to 102 and then putting Mary on top? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, well done with that because it's, it's really quality. Yeah, thank you. Um, so earlier you talked about um, you make a bunch of ideas in a day and then in a month or two months' time you'll go back to that yep. those ideas and then have a look at what you made and pick the best one. Um, We've talked a lot about your creative process, but it, I guess that is part of your process, right? When you when you look to make a new tune, do you just play with ideas first and then go back to them? Yeah, um, I, I haven't always worked like this. So in the, in the past, what I did was on, say, it's Monday morning and I, I would start with the track and then I'd continue work on that, you know, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday un until it's finished or until I get really stuck. And what would often... One of the problems when producing music, and and I, I guess not everyone has it, but I have it for sure. Is like you can you can get too attached to a certain loop. So um, sometimes you think you have a good idea, and then you know if you spend four days on it, and then after four days you realize it wasn't such a great idea to start with, you just wasted four days. So. And that happened to me quite a lot, you know, and I'd, I'd be spending four, five, sometimes two weeks on a trek and then end up kind of just throwing it away. And I got so fed up with that. And, and one thing I realized is if I, if I just put it down for, you know, a couple of months and then I listened to it again, often it was instantly clear whether it was good or not or what, what bits of that track were good. So once I realized that, I started producing differently and now I, I work on on one track a day and at the end of the day I bounce it down so I have like one idea for that day and then after two months you listen to all of them and it becomes so easy to to um, filter you know and, and say oh these three are really amazing and the other ten I'm just gonna throw them out you know and um, so I, that's sort of how I kickstart an album for instance I, I do two months of ideas and then Afterwards, I, I pick the ones I like the most. Hundred percent. I think it's it's similar in my case when I'm ARing. If I'm undecided about something or I can't quite make up my mind, like I need to leave it alone and then go back to it in a day. And, and yep. I think it depends on your mood and how you're feeling. And you know, having that fresh kind yep. of um, pair of ears on something really, really helps. Yeah. Um, and so you know, in terms of the studio setup that you've got. I I think you like to work a lot on analog stuff, right? As opposed to digital or? Yeah, I, I guess um, it, it's a hybrid. Um, right. I've always, when I just started out, um, you know, hardware sins were uh, expensive for me. So I, mm. I, I started with Cubase and also Reason, um, the very first version. And, and so I was, I was kind of used to, um, 
to using software. Um, but throughout the year, I, years I've really developed a, a, a taste for, for external stuff. So I use my, my modular a lot. I use my guitar pedals a lot. And it just, you know, whenever I run something through them, it beefs it up a little bit or so. And I, I kind of like those unexpected things. You, you just, you have a nice melody line, but maybe it sounds a little bit bland or something. And I just think, oh, well, I'll throw it through this and see what it does, you know? And, and sometimes it's great and then sometimes it's not, but it's a really nice way of working. And um, it, it's not as if you, you don't really need all that stuff, you know? If I really had to choose, I could probably size right. down this, this studio tremendously. But um, yeah, I just, I just like to, to play with knobs and yeah. <laughs> I guess it, yeah, it's it's a lot of fun, right? Yeah. Just messing around with with sounds and yeah. and having something to feel and and touch, you know. Is, uh, yeah, it's it's you hear it a lot, but it's a lot more exciting to um, to to turn knobs and have some instant feedback than it is to do everything with a mouse and sort of yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And in terms of in terms of vocals, like you, we can see you in your studio now, but you're recording this podcast on a vocal mic, I, yeah. I assume. Um, what do you look for in, in vocals and, and, and sort of like the quality of vocals that you like to work with? That's a good question. Um, the funny thing is when I'm writing a track, I vocal wise, I don't always know what I'm after because I'm not really a vocalist. And, and sometimes I have an idea, but it's mostly because I might reference another track where I like the vocal a lot, you know, and I'm like, oh, I, I like this character or I like this space or, and and so a lot of it is just trial and error, and I'll I'll um I'll send a, a, a demo to someone that that um that that records the vocals, and he just shoots a couple of ideas, and then I will be like, oh, I I like this or I don't like that, and sometimes we end up you know maybe maybe zooming or skyping and then trying some things together um because i i feel that as a as a producer and 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 i'm not really i i can't sing at all you know i'm i'm really bad with my my voice and i find that that sometimes limits me in my ability to really um know what kind of vocal i want for a certain tune or to to come up yeah. with vocal ideas and and so I, I trust the um, the judgment of a lot of other people on, on that as well. And also, like with that Smaha edit, you know, I'm going to talk about Mary J. Blige again, of course. Yeah. But like having like a vocal like that um, as a rework on your track, is there like a dream collaboration that you've got in your mind that you think one day that's the vocalist I want to work with? Oh, that's a good one. Um, yeah, if... Ooh. If I could choose, I I don't know. It, it it depends on the song, I guess. But there's um there's two that I can that I can think of. Uh, singer of the um, uh, the editors, uh, Tom Ellis. Oh yeah. Um, that would be amazing. And otherwise, maybe something completely different, like uh, Leonard Cohen or someone like that, you know, with a very different type of voice, almost like a spoken sort of vocal. But I'm, um, when it comes to vocals, I also have quite a broad taste, you know, it, it needs to fit the, the song mostly. 
Well, maybe you can do a rework of an editor's track and get their attention, and then you never know. It, uh, yeah, it's it's on my to-do list. I'll, I'll get there someday. <laughs> <laughs> and we have to talk about your Circle YouTube set. I mean, yes. it's got already, like, you know, over a million views, and it, it's such a beautiful, gorgeous location. And for anybody who's joining us on this conversation and listening along, if you haven't seen it, you have to check it out. The set is incredible, but the the location is just gorgeous. I mean, how do you prepare for a set like that in, in that kind of like surroundings? Yeah, it, um, it was quite a nerve wracking, to be honest, because um, Circle is also one of the only um, organizations that they, they stream it live, you know, like live live. There's no pre-recording or nothing. So um what you do on the spot is what gets broadcasted and that was a little bit it, it in fact it's no different than um a club show you know where it, it would also be live but it still feels still feels different it was um and, and especially after not having played a, a proper show in in over a year or something i was quite nervous for this one um I bet. yeah but my I, I guess my my preparation was um Normally, when I play live, I might improvise a little bit because my, my live set is set up in such a way that I can actually improvise. But for this one, I thought, well, let's not do that and let's you know plan everything out beforehand um, in, in, in terms of um, you know song structure and song order and all that. Um, so all of that was worked out in advance. And um, I basically just four weeks before the show, I started practicing and especially in the last two weeks I, I think i played it every day three times you know um just to really get into that um flow of of doing things automatically and i, I was glad i did because um one of the things that made it really difficult was um the, the daylight you know when it hits those um pioneer samplers the daylight is so bright that it shines out all the uh, the led lights um, so we, we had to sort of fit these makeshift covers in front of them because I, I could basically not see anything on those, um, on those DJSs and in the, we had a little bit of a, a sound check and I was making mistakes because I couldn't see what I was doing, you know? So I said, we need to sort this out somehow. And, um, fortunately because I was practiced so much, I think I sort of, um, well, was able to do it without any serious mistakes. <laughs> I have to tell you quickly about a friend of mine um, called Nerm. He's a very brilliant, like, uh, technical DJ and never really makes any mistakes at all when he's DJing. And he has this rule when he's DJing live in a club that he will at least clang like a couple of times in the mix just so people know that he's a real <laughs> DJ and not this is not a pre-recording yeah set. yeah and so people know that he's brilliant and know that and I just think that is so funny yeah. so for you to like practice and get it right but also the improv I think it does really bring that energy for like people to know that like there is a master at work yeah here, you know yeah and and then the, the the one thing you know with um with improvisation, like my my playing on the synthesizers, I I know you know I know all the because they're my own songs, so I've 
practiced them so many times. Um, but if I if I play a, maybe a festival or something, I might also improvise on the playing and really go overboard there. But for this one, I thought, okay, let's not let's not experiment too much. Let's just get it recorded like completely and without mistakes, you know. And if you know actually if you know where to listen, there's a few mistakes. But I don't think a lot of people will hear them. <laughs> And I don't know whether this is a fact or not, so I'm going to ask you. Uh, we heard that sometimes you just like to DJ in your socks without shoes. And is this true? Yeah, that, that's a fact for sure. Yeah. Um, I okay. actually always, I always take my shoes off. Love it. Yeah. Is there a specific reason, Elka? Or um, just a, a friend of mine, uh, Miss Malera, we were talking um, probably six, seven, eight years ago. And I was telling her how sometimes after um, after having taken a flight, you know, and you're you're jet lagged, and maybe you you just woke up in the hotel or something, and when you have to get on stage, you feel a little bit uh, on a on a different vibe from the audience, and and she told me like take your shoes off because it will help you sort of earth and you know feel a little bit more relaxed, and in my case because of my height, it also takes like a, a few inches off. Which is nice because I always feel so tall, you know, standing uh, on that stage, you know, behind all the gear. Um, and, and so it just became a bit of a habit, I guess. So I know what I'm getting you for Christmas and it's a nice pair of socks. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Happy socks. Happy socks is my, my, I'm probably their number one yeah. customer. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Because I've always said, if you play on your socks, they should be fun, not like regular black socks, but there should be something there to see, you know? So I always wear happy socks or another brand of funny sort of socks, yeah. Well, I feel like this is a really good opportunity to ask what socks you're wearing right now. <laughs> um, and, show, and show us on camera. Oh, you want to, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, get that leg up. Does it, oh, no, it doesn't show it. Oh, bit go. of red, bit of yep, white. Red, oh, very white, colorful. Yeah. Stripes. <laughs> Nice. Good vibes. Yeah. You know, just to kind of, uh, you know, wrap things up, I, th I guess, um, you know, after a lot of radio silence and, and, and the whole pandemic hitting and, and not touring so much, um, um, what was the last club that you played at? You mean before the pandemic? Yeah. Um, I, I, I just came back on the um, the first of March. I came back from Australia because I had done a, a two week tour of Australia and New Zealand. So I I think awesome. that the last place I played was um, um, on the South Island of New Zealand. Uh, Christ, no, not Christchurch. Um, uh, I'm terrible with names, but I, I, for sure it was on the, the south. It was a boat party on the South Island of New Zealand. Um, nice. Yeah. And, and I, is, is there then a venue that you're really looking forward to playing um, as things start to open back up and, we, and, you know, DJs start touring again? Is there one venue that you're like, I can't wait to play there? Um, well, here in, here in the Netherlands, there's two. And, and fortunately, they're, they're both coming up. It's uh, Woodstock and Thuishaven. And um, yeah. I mean, both of those are amazing, and and you know, I've I've played there every year for the past few years, except 2020. Um, so getting getting back there and and being in touch with with the Dutch crowd again, um, yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. And also because I I did play some events during the pandemic, like last year in August, September, sort of, and then this year I went to Mexico. But the thing is. 
the, um, the those other countries, you never really know exactly how the regulations are. And so you don't know if people were not allowed to, to go out for a year or if the clubs were open or maybe they had seated shows or something. But here in, in the Netherlands, you know exactly how how long everyone has been waiting to party because I was waiting that long as well, you know? So it's a it's yeah. a different vibe having, you know, playing your own country and having those people in front of you. Well, in that case, if you're really looking forward to playing in the Netherlands, surely you have to come to the Amada office and DJ for us in the Amada club. Yes. Please do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah that, that would be nice. Yeah. Okay, I feel like we've got that confirmed, so I'm yes. just going to take that as a yes. You, you got it on camera. I'm going to let everybody camera know, and we'll share it on socials <laughs> very soon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Tell us about what we've got to look forward to in the future. Like, can you tease any exclusives with us? Like, what's coming out? What have you got planned? Um, I've got apart, you know, apart from the the coast to coast remix. Um, oh, that's my alarm that I have to practice Spanish. Um, <laughs> no, so yeah. <laughs> Apart from my the, the Coast to Coast remix that we mentioned, um, I'm, I'm not yet sure when that's out actually, but that, that one's coming out. And I've got one track which has a very interesting backstory. Um, it's, it's done in a cooperation with The Jane in Antwerp. And so what, um, what they did at The Jane was they recorded loads of samples from their kitchen and from their restaurant and, you know, and, and things from um, mixing a salad bowl all the way to like a fire that's heating up or something. And so a few artists were given those, those sample packs and then asked to do something with it, you know, like work, work it into a track. Um, so I, I did a track called Electric Eel and I ended up using almost all the fish uh, samples. And um, <laughs> but I, I really like I went Maybe. overboard in processing, and I, I I threw them at my modular and at the guitar pedals and everything. So um, a lot of the drums and then also some of the melodies are all based on samples from the Jane. And this is going to be it's going to be an interesting one. When I, oh, it's actually it's in the circle set at around one hour. Uh, so that was the first time that I played it and it, I think it's it's due around ADE um, but I'm, I'm really excited for the release of that one so DJ Eelk yeah. is going to be coming out <laughs> in October during EDA yeah EDA ADE ADE yeah ADE yeah, yeah. Well, yeah and I, I, mean, I like I like the because um, I call it electric eel but Eel in Dutch is is ill, which is my my nickname for friends. So it's a little bit of an insider joke, also that name. Um, but it's also a fish, so it makes sense with the samples, you know. I, you, yeah, I, I always think about stuff like that. <laughs> I mean, I feel like we're sitting in front of a genius right now, well, <laughs> all of those things together. Um, I'm I'm worried that you're going to miss your Spanish lesson now, and that, um, and I feel like this is a, probably a good time to now say. Adios, which is the only Spanish probably word that I know. Um, any any last words from you, Harry? No, just uh, just you know, it's been great to talk to you, Elka. Like really insightful. Um, it's been great getting to know your process and you know your thinking in terms of music. I'm a I'm a massive fan personally. Um, oh, thank you. And I can't wait to uh, yeah hear hear what's coming in the future. Yeah, excellent. Thank you. Yeah, it was really fun to chat today. Thank you. Thanks so much. This was Behind the Beats, the podcast by Armada Music. We had a lot of fun. I hope you did too. Catch you next time.